0: You know, we've been working through the books of Samuel. Uh, remember when Lamb suggested that we we go here, we prayed together and we've been here a long time, a uh, few years. <laughs> um, and we've just been working through these and, and there's so much that we need to be pondering and considering um, as we turn to this passage tonight in 2 Samuel 18, I was thinking about well, what are the things that that mark the books of Samuel? What, how, how has the writer prepared these accounts of historical events to present to us um, truths about God and truths about life and people on earth? And I thought, you know, the books of Samuel actually... Um, They present to us contrasts, clear contrasts. In fact, uh, Sunday was referring to some of this this morning when he talked about Eli and Samuel. There is such a contrast between Eli and Samuel. Uh, But at the very beginning of the book, you've got Elkanah, Hannah and Samuel contrasted with Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. They're in two different camps. Um... Elkanah, Hannah and Samuel uh, are are folk who are hungry after God, seeking his fellowship, seeking him earnestly, yet they're weak and frail people. Uh, Samuel certainly appears more stronger when he uh, begins to lead Israel, but Elkanah and Hannah are are just humble people like Nerut in, in our midst here. Uh, Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, as Sunday said this morning, are uh, uh, living in, in, uh, in, in, in comfort and ease and, and, and indulgence, actually. You know, it says that Eli was fat, fell over and died. Well, obviously, he had indulged himself, not only his sons. And then we move on in the story and we have the contrast of kings. Saul is contrasted with David. And then as we move further on after Saul dies, uh, we have uh, David who falls into adultery in his life, uh, is clearly shown to us in the book as a sinner like you and me. He's not a perfect man. And yet all through the story, uh, David is, is, is presented to us as the one who pleases God. On the other hand, in the last few chapters, we've been looking at his son, Absalom. And there is a big contrast, and we'll see it tonight, in the, in the character of Absalom and his whole approach to life and that of David. Absalom uh, pursues the throne of Israel. He seeks position for himself. And he's brash and bold, a charismatic figure, in fact, and successful. Um, In a couple of places in 2 Samuel, it talks about all Israel have come in behind Absalom. It's a bit of a generalisation in a sense because there are those that we know are still with David. But it's trying to emphasise the effect of this man's influence over other people. In 2 Samuel 14, uh, verse 25, it says, Now in all Israel there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. He was attractive outwardly. He leads many people to abandon God's chosen king for another more popular, youthful figure. David is aging. Um, And here is his son Absalom rising up. Absalom's character is presented to us as one of pride, jealousy. Remember the jealousy that he had over the death of his sister and all the things that went with that. Self-confidence, tremendous self-confidence. He believes uh, he can accomplish this and political strategy. He's a political strategist. He works out how he can overcome this father of his and take the throne for himself. In 2 Samuel 15, we read Absalom would say, oh, that I would judge in the land. There's a self-promotion. Oh, that I were in that position. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give them justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. It's like by... By persuasive affection, he's winning the hearts of people. But he's actually in rebellion. And people are turning over to him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. 2 Samuel 15, verse 6. He stole their hearts. Later, as Absalom grasps the throne, we read, Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel. This is 2 Samuel 15, 10 and 20, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. But Absalom's not telling them all the intrigue that he has. He's just showing all this outward uh, uh, invitations to my great banquet. Absalom was offering sacrifices. He sent in aethopel the Gileonite, David's counselor, from his city Gilo, And the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. It doesn't look good, does it? Now here's the rising up of someone with incredible strength, gaining it by getting people on side. It all seems to be going so well. As Absalom embraces the pathway of this world, All the things I've spoken about are the way the world operates. Um, I think the little devotion that uh, Lydia found, pride is celebrated in our world. People proudly flaunt their accomplishments, possessions, qualities, deem admirable in expectation of praise. Lamb was speaking about uh, people with PhDs and all the other things. The world delights in these things. And Absalom was certainly one who embraced all of this. Yet selfish pride is a hindrance to a fruitful relationship with God. On the other hand, David, who is now ageing, has faced the reality of his own sinfulness. Remember when he was challenged by Nathan about his sin, Last Sunday I mentioned, you know, we've got that Psalm 51 as a, it's almost like a a benchmark in the scriptures of how to respond to God when you fall short. Against you only have I sinned. A consciousness of the fear of the Lord was in David's heart. He was conscious of how uh, he, well, if God was to judge him, then he would be cast out. But he cries out, create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit. He knows he needs to be cleansed and purified in his heart. And that uh, psalm, of course, has become such a blessing to all of us here, but to thousands, millions of people down the centuries. Um, and of course, in the end, Uh, David says a powerful thing. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is the heart of David. Contrast this with Absalom, you see. There's a complete contrast here. An aging man with a broken, contrite heart. In fact, in the story, he says to uh, these three commanders, oh, be gentle with my son Absalom for my sake. Not for God's sake, for my sake. Why? Because David is feeling guilty, of course, of the sin with Bathsheba that was pronounced as having judgment of the very things that were taking place. David has a humble, contrite heart that trembles at God's word and a a broken heart. So here in in Samuel, you've got these pictures of people contrasted in the state of their hearts for us to observe. And you're going to see tonight how God responds to these things. Because ultimately, Absalom looks like he's going to win. I mean, he's got all Israel on his side virtually uh, as far as numbers. He's got all the things right. He's listened to... Um, Well, he didn't listen to Ahithophel when, if he'd listened to Ahithophel, he probably would have killed David and got rid of uh, uh, what he regarded as his rival. But David had prayed, didn't he, that Ahithophel's counsel would be uh, overcome, confused. Well... Absalom presented as proud and self-seeking, while David is presented as humble and contrite, seeking the will of God and not his own will. Remember that. He's not seeking his own will, David. He says in 2 Samuel 15, Then the king, David, said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. There's Absalom in this. Carry the ark back there. If I find favour in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. And let me see both it and and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. This is David's heart. There is no self-seeking in it at all. Well, over the last two Sundays, we began to get a glimpse of God's heart towards these two men. Absalom's pride leads him to take the wrong counsel, while David's humility attracts the gracious, provision of the Ammonites and others who come to his aid. Remember, these Ammonites were descendants of Lot. They were hardly the kind of people you would expect to be providing all your needs. But why are they doing this? Because they witnessed, they could see something about David's character. It was shining forth. You know, Sunday was speaking today about us Awakening and let the light of God shine out through us into the world. Let the reality of his life in us be seen. And it was seen in David's life. David is strengthened to defend his throne. And he musters here in chapter 18, the men who are with him and set over them commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai the Gittite. Remember Ittai the Gittite? I hope you never forget Ittai the Gittite. You know, the man from Gath, from from, uh, Goliath's town, who completely surrendered his background and all of his family and heritage to side himself with David. And now he's placed in command of a third of David's army. Why has he done this? Because he has yielded his heart so fully to God's purposes. You see, it's not just David he's supporting. He's actually supporting the God of heaven. And, you know, when you're looking for leaders... You want to look not for leaders who just support you, but leaders who support the God of heaven, whose hearts are surrendered to the God of heaven. And remember, that's what uh, Ittai said to David. As the Lord is with you, so I will be with you. And the men said, well, the king said to him, I myself will go into the battle. But the men said, you shall not go out. For if we flee, they will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better that you send us help from the city. So the, the army recognized that David had been chosen by God for a purpose. And for him to be slain would be a serious consequence for the whole of Israel. Now, in our assessment of people, is that the way we look at them? Not not that we judge. Remember that uh, memory verse that Lamb gave us two weeks ago? Do not judge by outward appearances, but judge correctly. Recognise, is God in this? And so they sent David back into the city that he wouldn't be subject and dangerously uh, uh, attacked and potentially killed. They would fight for him. So the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. Looks like he's taking the easy way out. But David has learnt the secret of God. There is wisdom in the counsel of God. Many. Not in just seeking your own will, not just seeking your own thoughts and your own way forward. There is wisdom in the counsel of many. And David yields to that counsel. So the king stood at the side of the gate while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and I deal gently with my for my sake. With the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Now, what is that statement telling us? Well, what I said before David is feeling that the outcome of Absalom's life is actually a consequence of his own rebellion against God. Does that mean that Absalom is not responsible for his actions? You know, uh, there can be influences that come from people who have sinned against us or have sinned and therefore, but God holds every individual person responsible for his own sin. God shows no partiality, the Bible tells us. None at all. And you'll see in this story that God has the final say in the outcome for Absalom and the outcome for David. For God judges justly. The army went out into the field against Israel and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim and the men of Israel were defeated. This is, you know, a a, a much smaller army fighting a vast number And 20,000 men were killed of Israel. 20,000. It's a slaughter. It is dangerous to follow a leader who is seeking his own agenda. 20,000 men who joined with this charismatic figure lost their lives. The battle spread over the face of all the country and the forest devoured more people than the sword. Now, many commentators have looked at this and tried to work out what this is trying to say. Does that, How did the forest do this? Um, some have looked at the territory and seen that the forest was um, characterised by ravines and, and uh, places where people could fall into uh, cavernous uh, holes in the ground or be... And if they were fleeing in battle, perhaps this is what happened. Well, God gives us the example. Uh, I think it's interesting. God always interprets the scriptures for us. Absalom is fleeing. We read the next little section here. Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. And Absalom was riding on his mule. And the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak tree and his head caught fast in the oak and he was suspended between heaven and earth. Well, here's the forest devouring one of, one of uh, the, <laughs> Absalom's army, in fact, himself. Now, how could this even happen? A mule carrying you in a forest and your head happens to get caught in the tree so that you're hanging and the mule goes on. Who is at work here? Who is bringing about this outcome? Who is exercising discipline over Absalom? I think there's another story of a mule, isn't it? Where a a, a donkey uh, talks to Balaam and tells him, you know, God is in charge of everything in this world. He's in charge of all the animals, everything that is going on and God sees Absalom's state of heart and that's why i believe the scripture that we have both in james and first peter god opposes the proud that word in the in the greek says god is hostile to the proud god will deal with pride have no doubt If we are proud, if we are seeking our own will, be assured of this, God will fight against us. I don't think Absalom thought this was going to be the outcome for his life. His head was caught fast in the oak. He was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Joab said to the man who told him, what? What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? Joab is absolutely aware of who is causing all this trouble. There's only one man who's causing the trouble. 20,000 men have died because of the sin of one man. Because of his pride, because of his self-will, because of his seeking after something that he was never intended to have. And Joab knows that although David has given the instruction, you know, treat gently with with my son Absalom for my sake, Joab knows that God must overthrow the one who is in rebellion against him. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I'm not waste time like this with you. He took three javelins in his hand and thrust them at the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak tree. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. This is God. God acting in severe judgment against Absalom. God shows his wrath against the pride of man. Proverbs says this There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So says wise old Solomon. The heading up of the list of these seven deadly sins is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes are an arrogant man's windows to the world. From the lofty perch of his own superiority, he uses them to look down upon others and judge them. From his self-made pedestal, he fancies he can see with greater clarity than his creator. The Greek word for opposes, as I said, when God opposes this pride is He is hostile towards it. And pride is a state of mind or more essentially a condition of the heart in which a person has supplanted the rule of God over his life with the rule of his own will. You see, David had been chosen by God. David didn't choose to be king. God chose David. Instead of depending entirely on God as was God's design, a proud heart now looks to itself to decide what is good and what is evil. This was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God and be like him in the garden. Absalom is trapped, hanging from a tree. The mule on which he was riding brought him to this oak under the mighty hand of God. No one can fight God and succeed. No one can pursue the proud pathway and fail to encounter the mighty hand of God. Jonah tried it. We heard that this morning. By pursuing his own will against that of God, Herod proudly boasted of his glory and earthly achievements, even destruction of godly disciples like James. He was eaten with worms. Perhaps the most dangerous of all sins is pride. Because the Bible tells us that God is hostile toward this attitude of heart. Then, in the story we read this. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained them. Absalom had been defeated. The power that was driving this agenda had been broken. They took Absalom And threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, every one to his own home. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name and it called Absalom's monument to this day. But in the forest is now a monument with stones heaped over the death of Absalom, a monument to what God does for the proud. It is dangerous. And Peter calls us in his letter when he writes. Both Peter and James refer in their letters to the danger of pride. In the face of our many challenges in this world, we are called to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And we sang a a hymn before, take time to be holy. Speak much with the Lord. Take time to be holy. Uh, Feed on his word. By looking to Jesus, like him you will be. Jesus only had one purpose to do the will of the Father. He was opposed. He was despised. He was rejected, just like David in the story. People proud and arrogant. The Pharisees who failed to deal with their hearts, and Jesus challenged them. He challenged the pride of outward appearances. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, he said. Some people think that, you know, to be like Jesus is all sort of meek. Jesus was very forthright when he saw things that were hypocrisy. He looked into the hearts of men just like God does because he is God. He sees whether our heart is surrendered to God's will or our own. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. How is the devil going to get you ensnared so that you are devoured? He will sow the seed of pride in your heart. He will sow the seed that you know better. He will ensnare you that way. The wisdom that is imparted to us by Nerut is a woman who acknowledges her need constantly of God. If you're with her, you just know she knows her need of God. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The devil seeking to bring us down, to seek our own will instead of the will of the Father. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. David is restored, confirmed, strengthened and established as the King of Israel because he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Let us pray.